I ask you to continue to pray, please, also for our law enforcement officers. They are on the front lines facing the rising anarchy in our country and certainly placing themselves in danger. And not only are they placing themselves on the front lines, but they are often not supported very well by those over them uh, who actually are superior. So we ask that uh, God will bless them and protect them. And they have sometimes in the society we live in today, they are not even allowed to defend themselves, let alone defend us. So it is simply a measure of the terribleness of the times that this is happening. Please pray for them. Pray also for our medical personnel who are on the front lines also fighting another battle right now. Pray for them. That God will protect them as well and guide them. And I also bring to your attention that there is a young men's retreat scheduled for the seminary in Roundtown, New York, from September 17th to 21st. This is for high school seniors and young men up to 25 years of age. So we pray that this will be able to take place. And there are flyers by the ramp door of the church for those who are interested. Uh, please call and inquire if you have questions. It's a great opportunity. Now the epistle for this, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from the first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 6 to 13. Brethren, let us not covet evil things, as they also coveted, neither become ye idolaters, as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed fornication. And there fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted, and perished by the serpents. Neither do you murmur, as some of them murmured, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them in figure, and they are written for our correction, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, he that thinketh himself to stand, let him take heed lest he fall. Let no temptation take hold on you, but such as is human. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will make also with temptation issue that you may be able to bear it. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. The Gospel is taken from that according to St. Luke, chapter 19, verses 41 to 47. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, when Jesus drew near Jerusalem, seeing the city, he wept over it, saying, If thou also hadst known, and that in this thy day, the things that are to thy peace, but now they are hidden from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, and thy enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and straighten thee on every side, and beat thee flat to the ground. And thy children who are in thee, they shall not leave in thee a stone upon a stone, because thou hast not known the time of thy visitation. And entering into the temple, he began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought, saying to them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, 
but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. That's far the words of today's Holy Gospel. They shall beat thee flat to the ground, and thy children who are in thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, these words of our Lord were spoken long ago about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. When our Lord saw the future, as he approached Jerusalem on that day, was was so terrible. What our Lord saw was so terrible, he actually began to weep openly, to weep. And he described what he saw. He actually spoke to Jerusalem. He was speaking to Jerusalem through his tears, as though imploring them, please recognize the time of their visitation. Escape the terrible fate awaiting them. The question we might ask is, are the words of our Lord in the Gospel today now directed to us here? Are they now directed to the United States of America? When our Lord sees the future holds for us, these also make him weep, imploring, imploring us to please recognize the time of our visitation. This is the time now. Because what comes is so terrible. In the epistle today, St. Paul actually tells why. He tells his own people, his own Jewish converts to Christ, he tells them why God punished their people in the desert long before. As they were winding their way to the promised land, through the deserts. They had many things to suffer. Forty years of wandering there in the desert. St. Paul tells a number of the things that the, the chosen people had to suffer there in the desert because of their impurity, because of their immorality there, the sins of fornication, perhaps even adulteries. How they were constantly complaining, how they were tempting Christ, tempting Christ. As we do now, by the things even that entertain us, the things we watch, the things we listen to, that contain so much filth and glorify sinful things, and yet we find ourselves being entertained by these ideas, even while God himself is highly offended by them. Because we don't want to give up the temptations of our lives. Even while we say we want to give up the sins, we don't want to give up the temptations. So St. Paul enumerates the reasons why the people in the desert finally died there, almost to a man. Of all of those who left Egypt, under Moses' leadership, every single one died except for two. Moses and Caleb were the only ones who left Egypt with Moses who actually lived to set foot in the Promised Land. God had, had to purify the people, as it were, starting over with a new generation. 
because the old generation was not worthy. This is what God is telling us today here in our own United States of America. But God forbid that it should be so of us, true of us, that we are utterly unworthy, that we will not cooperate with the grace God is giving us, even now, even now, to recognize what is before us, to recognize the time of our visitation. Now, we just celebrated the feast of St. Ignatius Loyola on July 31st. There was a man who was a professional soldier, but he was so wounded by a cannonball shot to the leg in a battle that he wound up spending a long, long time trying to recover. He lived as long as he lived. He suffered the breaking of his, even the shattering of the bones in his leg the effort to try to have them knit themselves back together only to find that they did so very poorly so they had to be smashed again, broken again with another attempt for the body to heal itself. All that time he's reading from the library of the monastery that had taken him in. He's reading books about the soul, spiritual life, not books of warfare and military tactics. He's reading, he's reading books of the soul. And when he has finished that novitiate, as it were, of suffering, he determines he's going to enter the militia of Christ. He's going to now enroll under that captain. That Christ is now going to be his general. He's going to live his life fighting for God and for souls. So he does. What's the first thing he does when he makes that decision? Does he sally forth like a... Don Quixote, who lived about the same time? Or does he rather prepare himself? No, Francis is a St. Ignatius Loyola, having the discipline of a military man, realize he needs to prepare himself for this great undertaking. And so he goes and lives in a cave for a year, and he meditates there and prays there, preparing his, himself for the mission that has been assigned to him by God. And there in the cave of Manresa, he, he comes up with what we know now as the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, a kind of spiritual military exercises to make a real soldier for Christ. And he saw the need, he saw the need to repair himself seriously for the undertaking. The greater the undertaking, the more the preparation is necessary. The higher the building, the deeper the foundation must go. When we see what is besieging our country today, these two contagions, these two contagions, not one, two of them, one of them being this virus that has been unleashed on the world, has done so much damage, not just in itself, for what it is really in itself, but for what it's made out to be by the propaganda of the politicians who want to use it as a weapon to tyrannize over their people. When we see what this virus is in itself and what has been made of it, we see that it is really the product of hell, ultimately. It 
really comes to us from the designs of hell and is being used for the purposes of hell, sad to say. It is not only afflicting mankind physically, however, it is even afflicting mankind spiritually and has given rise to or opportunity to another contagion. But this contagion is not a material virus, it is a pathogen of the soul. It attacks the mind and the heart of man. You see, because out of the chaos and the terror that is caused by the earthly virus, another kind of virus has attacked the minds and the hearts of human beings throughout the world. And this is that of leftism, liberalism, communism, Marxism, whatever you want to call it. It's got many names now, progressivism. It has as many names as the heads of Hydra. It goes by all of these to disguise itself. And yet, it all comes down to the same thing of our rejection of Almighty God, rejection of our faith, rejection of Christ. And the desire to sort of remake humanity. And this is what is in progress now in our cities with its rioting, so-called protesting. In our cities with the destruction of property, notably the statues of our past. We have this virus of the left of Marxism resurgent, as Our Lady promised in Fatima, if we did not stop sinning and pray as we should and make reparation to God, then Russia would spread her errors throughout the world. And so we see it happening before our very eyes. But it has been happening in our schools day by day by day for many years now. It is just erupting, bursting out into our city streets violent riots without seemingly the will to stop them because all too often the public officials sympathize with the rioters, cheer them on, defend them, enable them, even punishing those who would dare defend themselves against the rioters and the looters. So far have we fallen. There are those who would stand up and oppose them. But they have to realize what they're dealing with amounts to basically an exorcism. Because it is not standing up and opposing merely the powers of the world, it is opposing the powers of the other world. Of a fallen world. Of Satan. And those who followed him. This is what we dare to challenge. This is what we proposed to oppose. As in any exorcism, a great deal of resolve, but a great deal of preparation must be made. This is one of the things that prevents us or holds us back from actually mounting a good defense against these things, because there are those who have zeal and want to go and attack immediately and there are those who rather want to ponder how we should do it. It's kind of the divide between the builders and their contractors on the one hand, 
and the engineers, on the other hand, the builders just wanted to reach into the toolbox, get the hammer and nails, and start hammering away, putting the building up. The engineers want to design the building well and plan out exactly what is to happen. The builders want to put the building up, and the engineers want the building to stay up. They don't want it to fall down and collapse because it is not well thought out. Sometimes we find ourselves facing a great threat as our forefathers saw the Muslim threat marching into Europe. They had to take stock and plan how to do battle against them. They had to plan these things carefully because they knew the enemy was indeed formidable. Our ancestors built cathedrals but you can imagine the amount of preparation that went in before the first stone was cut, before the first stone was laid, all of the preparations that had to be made to raise the building successfully. Not just a building that would stand for a day, but for centuries or a millennium. Yes, they saw the need to plan this very carefully. And we ourselves find ourselves in battlefield conditions here. We find the need both for wisdom and prudence on the one hand, the will to fight, the resolve to fight we need. On the other hand, and where are we going to find these things in these times? We have to find them in God. We have to go to God in prayer. That's what the church teaches us. That's what the saints teach us. That's what Saint, Saint Ignatius Loyola teaches us. It's what Saint... Alphonsus Liguori, the saint of the day, tells us to put much prayer into the planning for the religious congregation that he was going to be founding. The congregation of our divine redeemer. We need that wisdom, we need that prudence, we need that will and that resolve now to make all of this effective. Where do we turn? to know how to go about this. We turn to the Bible. We turn to the word of our Lord himself, who actually says, which of you would go, or what kind of king would go, to fight against a king who would bring against him ten times as many soldiers? Which king with a thousand soldiers would go forward to meet a king who brought ten thousand to the battle? Which a king would go without seriously pondering and questioning, how am I going to fight this battle? He said, lest to be laid waste and made a, a laughing stock. Our Lord himself asked the question of his own apostles, which of you would start a building without planning so that you can't complete the building you start, and so you become a laughing stock in the eyes of those who despise you? Well, we are in that situation now, you see. We have to take serious stock at what it is, because it really is no less than fighting a gigantic exorcism. Those with the wisdom to see that find it a very daunting task for man, but not a human task at all, a divine task. They see the need to go to God.
The church herself teaches us from her long history how to approach these things prudently and effectively. We see in her examples that she's given to us over the years some rather remarkable things. One of the most remarkable in our own times is what happened in Brazil in the year 1964. Many of us here were alive in 1964. Some of you, no doubt, were aware of what was happening in Brazil at that time. Brazil was on the very edge of toppling into communism, becoming a communist society. The chief politicians in Brazil, the president and his right-hand man, were determined to communize Brazil. And they've been working assiduously day by day, week by week, to destroy the freedoms of the Brazilian people. To overcome the opposition that was there in the other politicians. To squelch the opposition in the military. Bringing in measure after measure after measure that tightened the grip of communism around the throat of Brazil. And as those plans progressed, it seemed that the political opposition was neutralized, incapable or unwilling to stand up and resist, that the military was paralyzed and unable or unwilling to fight back. That too was held in check. Where, where were the leaders of the church? Well, this was going on in 1964, as the last nail was ready to be hammered into the coffin of the Brazilian people. And bind them forever, as the communists would have it, in the coffin of communism. Where was the leadership of the church? Well, the leaders of the church of Brazil in 1964 were in Rome at the Vatican. They were in the very height, or should I say, in the depths of Vatican II. The Council of Vatican II was meeting there in 1964. And what were those bishops doing there? So many of them had become leftists themselves. They were in the midst of a revolution of their own in the Vatican. We know it as the Vatican Council II, or the Second Vatican Council. It was a revolution. They were carrying out a revolution there against the church. Was it really a revolution? Was Vatican II honestly, truly a revolution? Absolutely it was, in every sense of the word. Right on down to the destruction of the statues. We see that happening in our country, with the statues being toppled and smashed. Now we see statues of our Lord and his saints being toppled and smashed. Go back to 1964, what was happening. Go back to the late 1960s when the bishops came back from Vatican II and ordered the churches to be renovated. What did you see? Those of us who were alive and who were aware at that time remember very well what we saw. We saw the clergy of the church carrying the statues out of the church and smashing them to bits and throwing the pieces in the dumpsters across the country by the hundreds or the thousands the beautiful statues that adorned the churches, they were taken out and they were ruthlessly 
almost gleefully smashed by the very clergy in charge of those churches at the behest of those bishops from Vatican II to revent, renovate, to renovate their churches. And these statues had no place. They were too beautiful. And even today we find that the conservative Novus Ordo clergy has had to fill up those niches somehow when they haven't just tore down the churches entirely and replaced them with these ugly buildings. When they try to put a statue back in the church, often it's very ugly. If it's not an old statue, often it's something ugly and new and modern, very expensive, but not inspiring. Nothing graceful about it, very blocky, cold. Even to this day, you're looking at statues here, you're looking at them right now that were marked for destruction and had to be rescued by Catholic people. Throughout our mission travel, we offer mass the shadow of those very statues that had to be rescued from the clergy who would have destroyed them they had the chance. Yes, this was a revolution, the hallmark of revolution, the ultimate sign of absolute rejection to take the statue of St. Alphonsus Liguori, our blessed Father, our Lord, and smash it to pieces, throw it in the dumpster. What can be more a statement than that? Statement of revolution. It was happening in the very churches back in the 1960s and 70s. And so we find it happening today in our country. The revolution has come here now. What do we do? Well, the men of Brazil are missing in action. The politicians, their political leaders, military leaders, leaders of the church in Brazil. So the women, the women of Brazil stepped up. It was the women of Brazil, the mothers, the mothers of Brazil who decided that their children and their children's children would not grow up and spend out their lives under communist tyranny. It was the women of Brazil who stood up and said, no, we will not allow this to happen. We will not allow our country to become a communist country. When this communist president tried to impose the hammer and sickle on its own entire country, called for a conference of workers from throughout Brazil. Tens of thousands of workers summoned by the government to be indoctrinated in communist theory and communist thought. He, that president, arranged for two operatives of communism to come from Russia to address these workers of Brazil on their future under communism. And when the women of Brazil found out that these two Russian agents of communism were destined, were scheduled to arrive in their city to address these workers, they resolved that this would not happen. And they made it very clear they were going to stop it from happening by themselves lying down on that runway. That's what they said. They said, you're going to find hundreds of us lying on that runway. We are not going to let that plane land. And in fact, they prevented the plane from landing. 
They couldn't land in Belarizante and had to go elsewhere. That's how they broke up this event. During the two weeks of Passion Tide, leading up to Easter, May, March 29th in 1964, the women actually took Brazil into their own hands. At first, thousands of them turned out on the streets, then tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands, and literally millions, millions of the women of Brazil took over the streets of the largest cities in Brazil, Sao Paulo and the rest. And they were armed, too, heavily armed. They were armed with pots and pans, the tools of their trade, their vocations, providing for their families, feeding their children. This is the weaponry they have. They have their rosaries. And the sounds of these millions of women in the streets of the great cities of Brazil, the sounds of them praying the rosary literally drowned out the harangues and the harassment of the Marxists who found that they could not lead a people who were so determined they would not follow them into the abyss. It's as though the men took their courage from that example. Just two days before the final piece of the puzzle was to be put into place to make Brazil a Marxist nation. And with it, all of South America be swept away. The would-be communist president of Brazil abdicated, fled the country with his henchmen. The military assumed command. This was the result of prayer. Pure and simple, simply was the result of prayer, the imploring of heaven through the rosary. It is exactly what our Blessed Mother asked for. At the last possible moment, it rose up in Brazil and saved that nation. Faith and the hope and the charity of the women of Brazil came to the foreground and actually led the way to deliver that nation out of the very jaws of God. Quite amazing. Of course, the communists have their own propaganda. If you were to look up the story today online, you would find all kinds of communist propaganda attending it. How could this be? How could it be that the military finally had a coup to overthrow the, the wonderful uh, progressives who were going to save the people of Brazil from... from uh, American imperialism and from capitalist oppression, that the, the progressives were almost ready to liberate the people of Brazil and the military uh, stepped in and stomped them. The military, inspired by this prayer campaign that was uh, started by Father Patrick Payton of the Catholic Church, this Catholic priest, who was actually in the employ of the American Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, that Father Payton was actually an operative of the CIA to 
overthrow the communists in Brazil. And so it goes with the, the stories of the leftists who are trying to explain what happened in Brazil in such a leftist storyline. But they're worthy children of the father of lies. Their father, as our Lord said, the father of lies. This is what they do. They thrive on the lies they tell. They glory in them. And so it is with leftists and Marxists. But what can you expect with people who are willing to enslave nations, murder millions of babies and abortions, and all the rest? But lying is their bread and butter. We know what happened in Brazil. We know the history is the record we need to show us what took place there and how it is that the millions of people in Brazil dodged that communist bullet that would have executed it. To this day, Brazil is still fighting that same fight as we are here today in our own country. Beleaguered as we are, we are still fighting this same fight. If there is anything left to fight for, in Brazil, if there is anything left to fight for in the United States of America, it is because of the Mass and the Rosary. This is the only reason why there's anything left to fight for here. Anything left of our Christian civilization, anything left of our faith, anything left of our knowledge of God and our understanding of who human beings are and they are not to be enslaved by communists or anyone else. It is the Mass and the Rosary that have protected whatever still stands of our Catholic civilization. And if there's anything left to fight with, if there is anything left to fight with, it is the Mass and the Rosary. That's all there is left to fight with, the Mass and the Rosary. And there we take our stand. Or we take no stand at all. And you're faithful, we must find our guidance there from the church, from God. We must find a knowledge, the wisdom, that is the, the big picture of what is at stake here. Uh, Almighty God is honor and glory, our salvation eternal life of souls, prudence, we must find that in God, directing us as to the practical steps we are to take to secure these things, and the will to do so. We must find that in our love for God. But there are those who have the will, but they don't have the resolve. They have the will, but they, they are faint-hearted. But those who are not faint of heart, those who are willing to engage the enemy, They must have the resolve, and that resolve must be to fight the battle and to win. And it begins and ends on the spiritual level. Everything else is a reflection of the spiritual battle that began long ago and continues and will continue as long as time remains. The battle that hell is declared against heaven creatures have declared against God. So we must start the battle 
win the battle in ourselves. The first step is to be in the state of grace all the time. Every moment to be in the state of grace of God. That's the first thing we have to do. This is what our lady said. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Our lady said, make reparation rather to God and even to her immaculate heart for the blasphemies committed against them. Pray the rosary, our lady said. Pray. Pray the rosary. Pray the life of her son. Do what she did. Keep the life of her son in her heart. Ponder these things in your heart. That's what you do when you pray the rosary. Make your heart like unto hers in that regard. Otherwise, our lady said very clearly, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world. And that's exactly what we are seeing in our streets today. The burning and the looting and the destruction, the mindless destruction. Demonic joy in seeing things destroyed. This is what Our Lady forecast, unless we are willing to step up for our faith, for our country, for our families, even for our own souls. This is what is required of God. It's the world that God, not as God has made it, it's the world as we have made it. And God forbid that we should live this world, leave this world, in, leave our children in this world to make the consequences. So my dear people, it really is ultimately up to us. As it was up to the Catholic people, Our Lady spoke to it. We have to know exactly what to do. We need the resolve to do it. So I ask you to please pray for that. Begin by praying for that. Begin where St. Alphonsus Liguori began. Begin where St. Ignatius Loyola began. Begin where all of the great saints began. Even our Lord himself, when he was to set out on this great work of our salvation, Spent 40 days in the desert fasting and praying. Even the Son of God himself began there. Well, you and I need to be willing to do that also. Make the same beginning. And we need to think things through. So the work that we have will not be routed at the first outing. But rather that we'll have that staying power because we are prepared for all that the enemy has to launch against us cannot break our resolve to be faithful to God. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.